VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A little different opening this week, because this is a very special week. This is episode 300 of Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. Now, what you heard was a montage of all of the shows that I worked on as either a TV writer or a producer. And I'm playing it because I haven't played it in a long time, number one. And number two, because it sort of leads into my special guest this week, this week and next, actually. It's my partner, David Isaacs. And uh, David has uh, been on the podcast a couple of times, always a fan favorite. I wanted to get the Pope, and uh, he was going to do it, except he wanted the questions in advance. I just can't do that, of course. So uh, I had to say no to the Pope, but instead I was able to get David Isaacs. Now, David currently is the chairman of the TV writing department at USC, which has one of the finest film schools in America. And David, my partner, is the, the chairman. This is unbelievable to me. Anyway, uh, you would think that he and I are going to just talk about old times. No, we're actually going to talk about the future of comedy. So that is this week. Episode 300, thank you for being here. Let's get going. My partner David Isaacs, this week on Hollywood and Levine. I gave your very lofty title in the introduction, but let's talk a little bit about the future of comedy Mm -hmm. because you're working with all of these young people. So my first question is, do young people still want to write comedy? The general answer would be yes, but I don't think it's necessarily the kind of comedy writing or the, the, uh, the form that, that we grew up with or that we aspire to. And by that, mm-hmm. I would mean sitcom, the half hour, which I'm not sure exists in in any particular form right now that we remember. Um, there's a few shows on the air, I suppose, that are not very good, you know, um, that are sort of keeping the place marked. But if they're interested in writing comedy, they're interested in writing for SNL, 
late night satire. And in terms of films, I don't really see anybody who's who's trying to write all out comedies. It's 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 hard to say uh, hard to say where it's going. I still believe that a form like the half hour proscenium can work if the right idea comes along because it's still it still has a, 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 a way of telling a story that's kind of personal and interesting and, and can be real great human comedy. Uh, I'm not, I'm not holding my breath for when that comes, but they tend to, um, they, they tend to want to write about the state of the world as opposed to the, the sort of, um, I don't know, interpersonal comedy, the sort of uh, internal conflict in families or or at workplaces they it, it just sort of doesn't come up you know do you think that's a reflection of the fact that the world is a pretty bleak place right now and that they're facing all of those issues yeah, of climate I, change and you know the question of democracy and and everything else it's got to be very tough for young people these days in terms of how they view the state of the world well we all feel that way and i'm sure they feel but you know we're we're sort of beyond you know our our aspirations and our ambitions at this point nice Uh, way of saying we're unhirable thank you that's the way i could that's the best way to say that Mm -hmm. We're, we're 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 um we're about two blocks short of oblivion Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, not to, not to be that down, but, um, I think Ken, the, the, the main thing is those kind of stories, the kind of shows we, we did uh, seem, I think like incredibly trivial to them now. I, mm-hmm. I just, those are, uh, those are issues that are sort of like a small little, you know, little murders as opposed to, um, by that, I mean, the, the, the small little, uh, uh, consequences that people fall into in terms of love or family relationships or things like that. It just, it just seemed sort of trivial to them. Um, that's my observation of it. And, and I think, you know, uh, in, in comparison to what's going on out there, um, I think they just want to, they just want to point out the ironies of the bigger things right now than, than, um, and, and, find satire and parody in that, you know. Now, I'm just one person sort of... Right, sure, yeah. No, I mean, it's just, you know, two guys just speculating here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but, I, I am I do, I do, am privy to a lot of what they do and everything, but that's my bigger sort of vision of what, what they're up to, you know. Okay. It also seems that they're very into... <sighs> superheroes and fantasy and zombies and yeah. tech and things like that, that, that those all seem to be topics those that are, they gravitate towards. Those are the, those are the, those are the topics. Those are the tropes that are out, out front right now. I personally, I, uh, on the one hand, I understand the sort of, you know, this sort of, supernatural need to or this supernatural hope that 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 there's someone out there that'll save all of us mm-hmm. that makes a certain amount of sense to me um but personally i i see those movies and they seem incredibly redundant to me storytelling wise there's no 
I don't go to them because I know what's going to happen. And and there's some that are better than others. Like Wonder Woman is better than, you know, maybe Wonder Woman of Thor is better. Well, Wonder Woman 1 may have been better. Wonder Woman 2 was god-awful. Just just something that sort of have an interesting hook to get in. But in the end, it's the same thing. You know, it's it's I'm going to toss, a, as I like to say, I'm going to toss a, a, a station wagon at you and you're going to toss a, a small truck at me and we'll go back and forth and I'll put up my guard. And you'll put up your guard and then I'll win and then you'll escape and we'll make the next movie. So there's I, I don't understand the, the 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 redundancy of it because it all seems it is. It's redundant. It all seems the same to me. It, it doesn't. I know how it's going to end. So, in some general sense, so not being a comic book aficionado um, as I was maybe when I was a kid, and I loved DC comics. Um, I'm not speaking for. Once again, I'm not trying to speak for everybody or 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 um, or put my personal preferences in there. But um, but I, but I sort of I sort of see the. Once again, maybe the reason why they're so popular now, you know, and and it seems like they got to up the ante every time now, you know, like now you have a, what is the one that The Rock is in, Black Adam, who, who seems, I don't know what his trip is, you know, he's totally. He's in everything, isn't he's he? Totally, no, I don't mean the actor, I mean the character. I mean, uh-huh. the, these characters all seem invulnerable. They, you know, um, it, 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 you know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the person to break them down. I'm, I'm not the Roger Ebert of uh, Ebert of uh, DC or or uh, Marvel. I don't know. When we started writing together, I think the reason I stayed with you is because you were able to break down DC Comics. So I love DC. I, I, I comics. don't know what happened to you, man. What I don't know. I, I love DC Comics. So the disappointment is the DC brand is not nearly as interesting or hasn't been as good as the Marvel brand. No. Well, it takes itself way too seriously. Yeah. 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 I mean, to so, me, coolest thing was the Justice League when I was a kid. And now it just seems like, you know, those movies are just sort of ham handed, as you say, they take themselves kind of too seriously. And, you know, anyway. Well, one thing I find interesting is. As you said, young people kind of move away from traditional sitcoms. On the other hand, they love Friends and they love Golden Girls, which are two absolutely traditional retro sitcoms. What do you think the attraction is there? Um, I think that I think, A, there were great shows. Um, all of them. What was a more watchable show than Friends? Um, Golden Girls was funny. Frasier, I know a lot of people love it. And they love this sort of uniquely sophisticated nature of it. There's nothing on right now that in a way compares with those shows. In fact, we're going to actually keep, have a class, um, what we call a sort of uh, writers in their work class, um, next spring about 90 sitcoms, uh, which mm. seem to be your observation is dead on. They love that. They seem to love that decade. Um, and friends is, is kind of leads the pack. And I always understand why friends is so attractive to people because it's, it's an absolutely dead on, um, sitcom, um, feel good 
notion. You know, we all were in that. We're, most of us, all of us, for the most part, have that are at have that point in, in our late twenties or mid twenties, and you and I did, where you you've left college, you've left your home, and you're out there in the world. You haven't formed the next family yet that you're going to be a part of, that you're going to, uh, you know, in a sense, create. And so the friends you hang out with at that point are are your family. And and everyone is aspirational and everyone is in love or has been in love and you share all those triumphs and losses together. And you get those six people, great cast, and 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 it, it works. It just works. It, it'll work. It worked in the 90s. It'll work now. It'll work 10, 15 years. Yeah, from now. because it's a situation as every young generation reaches that stage in their lives. Well, it resonates with them. Yep. On the other hand, you have Golden Girls, which I don't know. Maybe they just find their grandparents funny. Uh, I don't know. But it, it's it's interesting to me how... Um, how popular Golden Girls is, and and I remember I moderated a Golden Girls panel yep. at at USC. Correct, it was which is a great night. It With was Be- Betty White. Betty mm-hmm. White was there. And, yeah, and, and the and um, unfortunately not Susan Harris, but Paul Wynn and, and Tony Thomas and and uh, um, Mitch Horowitz, who wrote on the show. And uh, um, yeah, no, look first once again, very funny, great cast. Um, it does, it does, I think, resonate probably in some ways because it's, it's about something it's, it, it is your grandparents or, 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 you know, with that generation, that, that's probably one reason. Um, Seinfeld still flies. Um, it's sort of timeless in its own way. Um, that 70s show, um, a very underrated show. And again, kids friends all it's around the same themes um it's it, it was a good decade it was a you know we were lucky to have worked in that decade because the, what about was, cheers do they still cheers, like cheers? cheers they they sort of have to find cheers um but when they do they love they they do love it they do love it i think when you go back that far the look feels a little maybe creaky um yeah we're talking 40 years now yeah <laughs> and, and frankly, frankly, things that don't hold up as well. It's funny. I, I I'm teaching a class of of freshmen. It's a, a general education class. So we we teach. We have to come up with a sort of uh, a sort of uh, general education topic within cinema, within writing that would we, we can we can use that so we can attract um, so we can keep the units in our in our school and we'll go into the academics of it. But um, so it's a, it's about how television changes society or reflects society, and, and uh, that sounds academic. It, it is it is somewhat academic. <laughs> yeah, oh, but no. you know there. But it's 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 sort of I, I've sort of framed it as there's a Mount Rushmore of great writers who have who have done shows that have changed the fabric of of television and reflected what was going on in 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 the world outside, even though they had to find different ways to do it. Like Rod Serling and Twilight Zone really used allegory. He could, he could make comments about racism or, or conformity or, 
or technology or or um, uh, or, or um, uh, discrimination, which in those days would have gotten him tr- in trouble with the network if he had taken the subject on for the, at face value. So he could mm-hmm. do like a a show like uh, Monsters are due on Main Street, which is really about you know blacklisting and and um, accusing your neighbor and turn it into a science so a sort of science fantasy story um, or an otherworldly story and make a point and or Lear in the way he changed the the fabric of sitcom and 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 brought like progressive ideas to television without ramming it down anybody's throat. Um, same thing with Roddenberry. Same thing with Bochco changing the face of how people perceive law enforcement. So it's kind of taking those those writers and the way they change things by the shows that 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 they that they created. Us um, and Big Wave Dave's. Well, we didn't get in there. I tried to <laughs> tried to ram in. I tried to uh, ram in uh, almost perfect as as uh, sort of this is. There was no women like this on television, but then people go, who, what, <laughs> when, how long, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get us up there on Mount Rushmore, Ken. Um, uh, so do so, the kids respond to those shows? Yeah, well, that, that's the point I was going to make, which is if you watch Good Times, which I showed the other day to sort of show how it changed the, the fabric of, uh, given that all in the family Change that fabric of the of the you know the picket fence and the Ozzy and Harriet and the father knows best and you know and and the only thing that ever pushed back against that was was the honeymooners you know if we're talking about family shows mm-hmm. um, Lear turned it completely around with Archie Bunker you know right but then again first family of black of a black working class family in a show that was good times and. You watch it and it feels very, very um, like they're wearing the emotion on their sleeve. It's sort of trying. It, it can't get past the fact that they're trying to teach you a little bit. Oh, I know. I remember that show where they would be spouting statistics. Yeah. The kids would be spouting statistics. Like, how how do you know this? Well, that, not so much in that in that pilot. When they they really got they really sort of. Well, I'm talking about little, the they, series. I, yeah, they I, went a bridge too far in the series for sure. Yeah. But even in the pilot, it feels like they're just, you know, hitting notes that, you know, are in the air and, and, and sort of current things that are happening. So it feels it feels a little creaky. Whereas I, I went back and I showed them the pilot of the Jeffersons because it was a great counterpoint to Good Times. Here's another black family, but they're on their way up and they're not disenfranchised. They're not living month to month. This is George Jefferson is a black man who's created a business and is moving to the. Moving on up to the east side, I can point out how the, the theme songs are, are sort of tell the whole story. But that's a better pilot, and I'll tell you why. Because they really point out the, the contradictions of how black people look at themselves. In, in you know How people, disenfranchised black people, think that people that have moved on up are snooty. And... And black people who have moved on up feel like they're not keeping it real anymore. It's a much, all of that was in there. Mm-hmm. And it was a much better written, much more better crafted pilot. Um, and it was easy to see that because it was really more about, there was a theme to it, you know? Right. 
there was there was a real kind of statement on on. And did it resonate with yeah, the students? Much more so. Much more so. More with my partner, David Isaacs, in a moment. But first, a word from Zenvia Hemp. Now, one in five people have an anxiety disorder of some kind, including social anxiety, PTSD, OCD, or everyday stress. It sounds like every comedy writer I've ever worked with. Well, rather than deal with it by taking pills that may be addictive and come with side effects, why not try a more natural and organic alternative like CBD? Now, studies have shown that CBD can alleviate symptoms of stress, anxiety, and depression, as well as lower your blood pressure, improve your brain health, and provide many other health benefits. Zenvia Hemp has a variety of full-spectrum CBD products made from premium hemp extract, and their ZBT contains 0 to 0.3 THC. I don't know what that means, but I'm sure it's important. It does not give you a high like marijuana. Its benefits are physical as well as mental. Zenvia Hemp carries a cooling gel, which alleviates pain by improving your blood flow. It's perfect for back pain and post-workout muscle aches. So shop from products such as their organic oils, gummies, soft gels, body lotion, massage oil, cooling gel, and face serums, all by visiting zenviahemp.com. Let me spell it for you. Z-E-N-V-I-A-H-E-M-P dot Free shipping on orders over $75 within the U.S. And there is a promo code KEN15. Okay, just type in KEN15 in the promo code and you save 15%. Zenviahemp.com. Good stuff. What shows do you think from the past do resonate other than the ones you mentioned? And what what shows do not uh, Twilight Zone does for sure. Uh-huh. Uh I think All in the Family definitely does. It does because it does. It's a curiosity it, piece in some ways. Yeah, but they're they're fascinated by the freedom of it. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, the irony mm-hmm. is you can't use those words anymore. It kind of undoes the idea of of wokeism a little bit by going straight at. Right. Um, the, this character, who's who's a bigot to be sure, but in my opinion, is acting out of complete fear—the fear of change. Mm-hmm. He is, is the neighborhood is changing. He's he's lost his only daughter to a his only daughter is living with a guy who he has nothing in common with. Everything in his world is coming apart, and he has no way to deal with it other than to lash out at it. And that's about something. And you get a good reaction from that. You know, it's interesting about Archie Bunker. It's a character that I used to love. Mm-hmm. And given the world's conditions, I look at Archie Bunker today and I figure, okay, this is a big Trump guy. Absolutely. And I don't find him amusing in the least. And in the same respect, even though... I wrote the character for 11 years. I don't find Cliff Clavin funny anymore. No, there, no, there is a kind of um, sense of intransigence that when you watch All in the Family, you can't help but think we're just repeating history. 
mm -hmm. the worst way because mm -hmm. now people are believing this bullshit. Right. So, you know, they're, they're believing. He wasn't dangerous before. No. I mean, he could spout this bullshit and, and, and believe it, but you could poke holes in it and laugh at it. But, but, um, and no one else believed it. But now you go, eh, he, he's, you know, he's one of the, he's, he's one of the, the more even minded of, of these guys, <laughs> you know? And, and it's, and I think they watch it with that kind of irony in mind. That's what's fascinating about it to, it's about, it's what's fascinating. You said that uh, the kids that are interested in comedy are leaning more towards satire and late night SNL sketches or yeah, which writing is a limited, which is Colbert. a limited marketplace as far as television is concerned. Do you teach those courses? Yeah, we do from time to time. We had the late John Bowman, uh, who tragically we lost last year, um, teaching a late night uh, course on how to write for late night. And he also taught a, um, a sketch. Uh, a, we have a kind of uh, SNL knockoff that we do, um, give them an opportunity to write sketches. And we have a drama class that uh, joins that class and a directing class. It's kind of a one big experience with across um, across different uh, divisions and even the school of drama from uh, joins us in cinema. And we do three uh, live episodes of a, of a SNL kind of um, uh, knockoff uh, with an audience. You with an audience, mm -hmm. with an audience, so that they can actually hear whether yes, stuff works. Yes, absolutely. Or not. It's a great. It's one of the best things we do, and. We go out on Trojan Vision, which is, you know, as the joke is that it goes out to two million homes in the L.A. area. Unfortunately, that's the exact number of people who don't watch it. Um, <laughs> but it does go on. It goes live on on um, um, YouTube. And but that's not the important thing. Nobody's going to nobody's going to get a gig off of it. But they uh, or it, it's not going to build an audience of any kind. But it, but it, it feels as if they're doing something real. It, it, there's, a, there's a show night. They work on they work on their sketches all week. They rehearse, um, and they've got a beautiful studio to do it in. And um, this year we're gonna I think have a rear screen projection so we can use that. Um, so you know it's SC, it's the SC Cinema School. It's just, it, they've got you know it's like a real studio almost. So um, so that that. That's an opportunity for them to practice, uh, exercise those muscles. And, um, but like I say, I, I think, I think, um, you know, it's, it's limited in terms of the, you know, how much, how much is there out there for you to genuinely go from, from doing that to working in the industry, you know? Can you teach somebody how to be funny? No, no. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's a gift. I think it really is a gift that you then have to nurture and learn and train and all of those things so that you take that natural sense of the absurd um, and and develop it and 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 um, and and uh, expand it. But now you got to start from a kind of general, as I say, I call it a general sense of the absurd. You just see things. Mm -hmm. more absurdly than most that's the quickest way where that comes from i don't know i think probably 
early in your life when you separate from your, when you begin to sort of make that first separation when you're five, six years old, four, five, six years old, and you start to see the world in a certain way. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not trained to. We'll have to ask Debbie about that. Yeah, my wife. Uh, Well, the other uh, other thing I, I would imagine is that if you have that gift and if comedy is something that you want to do, probably those students are the ones that familiarize themselves with classic TV series, with classic comedians, with movies by Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and, you know, Judd Apatow and and whoever, that that they are the serious students of comedy. Well, yeah, they're lucky, too. In a way, they only have themselves to blame if they don't, because you and I, we were we were part of a captive audience. You know, when we we wanted to see a movie, we had to go to that movie. Uh, it was only out for a certain amount of time, and and or if we, if we if we wanted to see a, a particular sitcom or something like that or study that, well, that was on once a week. And remember, we had to record it on an audio recording mm-hmm. um, to study it, to watch it, or you had to. Kind of just you had to go to movies and find movies and revival theaters to find all these people. Or you and I were both fans of of comedy record albums, those kind of things. So you had to go out and like really curate a collection. Whereas these guys, you know, and I we try to give them as much background as we can about these people and talk about and go back in time and and show them that you know the people that they love were inspired by other people um, who were inspired by other people. You know, there wouldn't be a, you know, Dave Chappelle without a, a Richard Pryor. There wouldn't be a Richard Pryor without a Dick Gregory, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or, or Lenny Bruce. Um, and onward and onward. Um, but when you've got YouTube, you know, uh, you can, you know, or Google, you can you can go anywhere you want in the in the comedy universe and pull out almost anything from somebody and watch it and study it at your fingertips. So, um, there's no excuse. I just think that, um, um, uh, I, I don't see anybody sort of leading the pack narratively right now. That's, you know, and that's not because all my heroes are done. Um, I think there's some very funny, funny writers out there. Um, but people are doing much, in many ways are doing very specific kind of stories and very much pushing it towards a certain audience, things like that. It's it's it, it would take a long time to sort of figure out if you if you could sort of see where it's all going you might be able to tell uh, uh, what everybody's doing you might be able to have a good idea of where it's going but it's so kind of spread out and and um, so diversified that it's hard to kind of gauge it. And that is part one of my interview with my partner, writing partner, David Isaacs. We will have part two next week. Somehow episode 301 doesn't seem like a big deal, but uh, a lot of good stuff. We're going to be talking a lot more about uh, 
our relationship and working together and uh, basically the dynamics of a partnership. So come on back next week. Our thanks, as always, and especially here on Episode 300, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, who put together that great montage that you heard at the beginning of the podcast. Also to John Wolfert, who put together the jingles you hear every week. And the musical bumpers are by Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I am on Twitter at Ken Levine. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, where I showcase a lot of my cartoons. So next week, part two with David Isaacs. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you right back here on... Hollywood and the Vine.